0: Data Center Interconnect Design, Use Case with BGP, Episode 34. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, our goal is to provide you with real-world context around technology. I'm Zig Ziga, and I am your host. Today, I am joined with my good friend, Tim McConaughey, um, who, who we met for the first time at Cisco Live back in, um, in Orlando this year. And it really is a great experience at Cisco Live to meet people that you might know online, that you haven't met face-to-face. And this is one of the people that I've met um, and I was really excited to meet, um, recently passing his CCIE route switch, um, a ton of experience. And and today he joins me um, to really go over kind of a a data center interconnect or a DCI, design use case with BGP. So without kind of any uh, further ado, that is really what we're here to talk about. So uh, hey Tim, um, thanks for joining us today and how you doing buddy?
1: I'm doing pretty well, uh Zig. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm kind of excited to to go over this kind of weird, not weird, but uh maybe non-standard uh use case with BGP and uh just kind of dig into it.
0: Yeah no I'm excited. Uh, I mean I think uh data center interconnect uh or DCI as it's formerly I guess known as most people in the industry um is a concept or uh not a concept. What's the word I'm looking for? It's more of a, a design uh, issue or design constraints when you're designing data centers. And a lot of designs, poorly or good designs, come from it because you're stretching layer two or you're doing whatever you're doing um, for whatever business or application use case. So it's always great for from my perspective to get more people on the podcast to really talk about data center interconnects and, and DCI design. So this is great. I think it's... So f- for our listeners real quick, it's, it's a real world use case. It, it's... Um, something that we've that has been deployed, um, and we're talking about BGP as the solution, um, both eBGP and iBGP. Correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. You got it.
0: And before we jump right in, I mean, um, why don't we start out with some background about yourself?
1: Oh, okay, sure thing. Uh, well, as you mentioned, my name is Tim McConaughey. I recently passed my uh, Route Switch CCIE. Uh, let's see. Five eight six one five is my number. So I will give you an idea of how recent. Congrats, back in March. by
0: the way. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it was a lot of work, as you know, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so let's see. Uh, I've been a network engineer for about eight years. I'm actually a little late in late in the game to be getting into it, but uh, my career's a kind of a one of those zigzag tracks, uh, before I ended up actually where I started, which is what I want to do, which, uh, which is network engineering. Um, anyway, so about eight years, um, I actually started, uh, very first job was on the, uh, the, the Navy Marine Corps Internet. So oh, NMCI I, really? Yep. That was my first, that was my first network gig Yeah, as a, as a freshly minted CCNA.
0: Well, well I, I have some history with NMCI. I, I'm a, a Marine, and uh, uh, so I have some very good and bad experiences with NMCI. <laughs> so uh, I don't think we actually talked about that at Cisco Live when we met, but, man, um, NMCI, uh, I managed my command's $10 million contract at NMCI, um, and, and I was the, the face of NMCI towards my command, so everyone hated me. You know, I had to approve approve all the different move ad changes, as they were called, um, or MACs, and I had to approve all of them all the time and I would deny them because we didn't have enough funding but go ahead sorry I just had to say I didn't realize that you worked uh, at, at NMCI.
1: Oh no that, that, that's fine actually um, so yeah I actually worked at the Norfolk Knock so were you were you in Quantico or
0: well I was uh, in uh, Camp Pendleton California
1: Oh okay okay so you were on the West Coast yep yep
0: and then I actually ended up working at Quantico after that as a and the marcert uh, um, uh, Mcnosk
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so I was a, I was a NOC engineer at the Norfolk NOC um, operations level, uh, working with base ops guys and whatnot, uh, monitoring and and, uh, maintenance and uh, incident response and stuff. So yeah, (laughs) I didn't realize we shared that, um, that history there uh, between us. Anyway, so after I left the NMCI, I went to a company uh, out in rural Idaho, actually. Uh, Spent a few years there. Um, They are a global company, actually. So I got to travel, uh, not, not quite all over the world, but uh, certainly a lot to Asia Pack um, to do data center colo uh, builds, refreshes, uh, office redesigns and implementations, and, and stuff like that. And what was really cool about that particular company uh, was that because we were a very small team, I got to do uh, voice, security, uh, data center, route switch, wireless. Pretty much the only thing we didn't touch was UCS, and that's only because the sysadmins owned them. So I, I got really good experience, pretty much all of the different technology silos. So that, that was a good one. Um, and then about two years ago, I came out here to RTP and uh, started with Cisco as an advanced services engineer, uh, network consulting engineer, I think is, is the official title, where I've been working with uh, just you know Cisco uh, Advanced Services doing uh, network optimization and uh, network architecture and design engagements with you know big Cisco customers, uh, this, this being one of them, the one we're going to talk about today. So that's what I've been doing since. And I recently left Advanced Services and came over to the, uh, uh, the Proof-of-Value Services, um, which is kind of in the pre-sales side doing uh, Cisco Proof-of-Concept Labs and uh, dCloud development. So that's where I'm at now.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you for taking the time out of your day to to join me on, on the podcast, you know. Um, you, it sounds like you have a ton of experience with Data Center, um, Data Center Interconnects, and and what we're going to talk about today. So that's awesome. So um, it, I guess we should just kind of jump in. Um, can you give us an overview of what, what the architecture and the high-level kind of technical s- solution summary that we're going to discuss?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll... We'll talk about the business drivers that kind of led us to here in a little bit, I think. Um, But just as a very high overview, uh, what we're talking about is kind of a network in transition where this large customer was closing a campus uh, that had a data center in it, and they were at the same time opening another data center. Uh, so, they had one data center active. They were opening another one to basically move the data from their campus slash data center they were closing. Um, and I think we're going to include a, a diagram. So, uh, if I could just, if you take the lower left quadrant, that's kind of the legacy campus and data center. Uh, and then the lower or the uh, left top quadrant, the colo data center is uh, what they were building. So, and then data center two is what they had. Um, so, the, the ask was to help work on a design for this kind of new greenfield data center interconnect they were building. Um, And on the diagram, what we're talking about is basically the core WAN routers, they were were new. That was a greenfield thing. Uh, They hadn't had it before. Before, they had only used MPLS Layer 3 VPN to connect their old data center and their legacy campus. So this was all new. Um, And I'll just keep referring to the diagram. Uh, if that's all right, Zig. Yeah, yeah. there's a, okay. That's yeah, fine. that's
0: fine. So, so the listeners, we're going to have the diagram in the show notes. It'll be the picture of this show. Um, and, and that way you can see it. Um, and it's, it's, um, no customer-specific information in it. It's, we've we've sanitized it, um, and if we can reference quadrants, that probably makes sense. Like you said, quadrant. There's a top left, right, bottom left, bottom right quadrants, um, and like I said, we can reference all that, and then um, you guys can draw it out too if you want on, on the on the whoever's listening to the podcast. So.
1: Okay, so the the big challenge was this idea of a new data center interconnect where we're standing up a brand new data center. Um, we're going to be filling that data center with data from the old legacy data center. But at the same time, business has to keep running, so our other data centers up and running as well. Um, and so for the core WAN routers, those I believe are actually ASR1006s, and they're uh, terminating a 20-gig uh, dark fiber link and then a 10-gig dark fiber link. I believe that the plan eventually was to normalize it where they'd both be 20 gig. Um, but as of when we were working on this design, that was, that was what the provider had available, the, the optical that was available for them.
0: Okay. So we're really talking about a situation where um, an environment is really going through kind of shift. I mean, you mentioned a transition um, from mm-hmm. a networking perspective. They had a data center. They're adding, they want to add a new data center. Um, they have legacy data centers as well. Um, or I guess they have a colo data center on the top right. I'm looking at the diagram, and they have legacy data center on the bottom left, um, and then they have uh, they don't have a new campus as of yet. That we haven't gotten to that yet.
1: Yeah, we haven't. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's that's accurate. So all right. Yeah. So paint the picture, uh, and you know, because engineers are lazy, I, I didn't want to do this through all of the phases of the transition. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we started with the legacy data center campus and colo data center too. Okay, those core routers weren't there. The connectivity between the two was was through that Layer 3 MPLS VPN. Okay, gotcha. So if you can visualize that. Uh, The new data center was going to be this Colo Data Center 1. And then um, they were also standing up, not so much a new campus, but um, more like they already had a campus, but they were moving everyone to it if that makes sense, and they were going to stand up local data center there for kind of local apps for that for that group they were okay. moving.
0: Almost like a server farm, but locally to the south. Yeah,
1: very, a very local server farm, exactly.
0: That makes perfect sense.
1: And at the same time, because this isn't complicated enough, uh, <laughs> they're also moving on purging a lot of their local apps and moving a lot of it to AWS. So they had a bunch of VPCs virtual private clouds up in Amazon where they were trying to migrate uh, their applications wherever possible to a cloud offering.
0: Well, so now we got, we got more that we're talking about. Now we're not just talking about data center interconnect anymore. We're talking about multiple data centers and also sending data to uh, a cloud provider.
1: That's correct. So this was a complicated um, even before we got started, right? This was a kind of a complicated uh, design to step through before you even throw in the migration on top of it. Um, So so from a high level, though, I just wanted to kind of set the stage, paint the picture of where we started, and then we can kind of step through the business drivers and everything and how we ended up, where where we kind of ended up and maybe the thought process that led us to pick the design that we went with.
0: Okay. And and, and honestly, the design that you went with at a high level is really just EBGP slash IBGP. That technology, right, um, being that it's one protocol, but it's EBGP slash IBGP, and really using that to interconnect the data centers, both the service provider links and the non-service provider links, correct?
1: That, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. It sounds very simple when you say it that way, but that's hard. I mean, networks should be simple.
0: Well, when you say it, it's a lot easier to say it than to do it. I mean, and to manage it and to troubleshoot it. No, I'm totally with you. It's a one-line sentence to say, but it is a lot more man hours to work and to implement. So.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Um, okay, so I think, I think you went through actually the business drivers right now, didn't you?
1: Uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah I, I'm sorry to get ahead of you here, but uh, no, no, I felt like to paint the picture of where we started, we really need to understand. It's because it's kind of a network in transition um, that, you know, like I said, we start by adding this green field where we're going to have these core routers interconnecting a new data center, an old data center, an old campus that we're closing, and and so on and so forth. Um, So the big one is uh, that, that, so down at the bottom left, let's talk about the business drivers there, and we'll just kind of go around if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, so this is the bottom left, and it's the legacy data center.
1: Legacy data center and campus. So what they started with was, just what it said, a campus and a data center, Um, and they had remote sites uh, that were geographically close, you know, they also have this, what, one thing that never changes, and I should point this out now, is the Layer 3 MPLS VPN is, is there, right? That, that doesn't change, only how we hop onto it and hop onto it off of it will change as we progress through the design. Um, so Not Drawn is a large line that loops around all of this and connects the Layer 3 MPLS VPN to uh, the um, legacy data center.
0: Okay, so you're using, there's an MPLS uh, L3 VPN cloud, whatever provider, um, and all the sites are actually utilizing that at the beginning of all this work to connect today.
1: Right, well, except today. for the ones that are... <laughs> right, not today. This is... Right, right. So, um, man, I'm starting to think it would have been easier to make another diagram, but uh, that's, that's me for you. Um, so, yes, correct. So, except for the remote sites that were geographically close, that were actually on a fiber ring, so okay. the legacy data center started with a campus data center and geographically close um, remote sites that were on a metro area fibering.
0: No, that makes sense. I, I'm on the same page. And I, I think that that's pretty simple, personally. Okay.
1: Right. So not, not difficult. <laughs> no, no. Right. Um, and, and then geographically distant uh, sites, like they, this is a global company also, uh, would connect in to the data center assets they needed through the MPLS VPN, which is why I would pointed out that at the beginning we had the MPLS running directly to the campus.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. All right.
1: Okay. So, the greenfield part of this was that they were going to add this big data center interconnect in the middle. Like I said, I believe it was four ASR 1006s, uh, 20 gig and 10 gig uh, dark fiber. And then they were going to add MPLS routers, as you can see above that, uh, for each data center, Um, which technically, I guess on the right, they already had. That part of it, they already had the infoS routers. Now, now here's where I come in because this is what the the customer uh, brought to me. Okay, this is I painted the picture of what it was before I got involved, uh, and now the customer uh, comes to Cisco and says, "We've started working on this design. Um, you know, what do you think, Cisco? And do you have any areas of improvement?" And uh, I should just point out, but, uh, right from the beginning, that this customer, they're very smart. Um, it's actually a situation where we have a customer managing another customer's network. So customer A is the Cisco Advanced Services customer, and customer B is the network being managed, and so that's the network we're looking at at this diagram. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay.
1: Yep. Okay. So customer A brings in Cisco to help them work on a design. Uh, customer A and customer B both have really good network engineers. Um, it, and I, I always say, that the best designs are kind of a collaborative effort. You know, like people can design all they want, uh, and, but nobody knows their own blind spots. You know, everybody has their own views. And it's, it's really when you start collaborating on a design that you um, start filling in those cracks, you know, the, those blind spots that you can't see.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think uh, you can never do a design in a silo. You don't, you don't always see everything from your perspective. You have different viewpoints and different perspectives based on your experience. Um, and a lot of people get biased towards technology as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've, I've actually talked about that in the past at different different uh, venues and different presentations I've given. Like, I, I know that I'm biased to EIGRP. I like EIGRP. So I traditionally would, would go to the EIGRP route towards the solution, whereas some people would do OSPF or ISIS or whatever. So, no, I, I totally agree with you. A design is best done in a collaborative environment where people are actually working together to find the perfect and the best design for that 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 customer or that business priority or business requirement?
1: Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so when they came to us, um, they, they had gotten as far as, uh, you know, basically they had gotten as far as this diagram from a high level, um, but they, were, they had some, uh, some interesting uh, choices that we ended up changing. Um, so, for example, they had decided uh, that the core WAN routers in both data centers would be in different EBGP domains, um, that was that was a no-brainer, right? Um, but they had the um, link between the routers, the two routers for redundancy at each, at each colo, were uh, redistributing the EIGRP and then back to BGP on the other side. So the very first thing I uh, said was, you know, uh, is there a particular reason why we're doing one-hop EIGRP redistribution? Because we're losing all of our path attributes, um, all of our loop prevention, you know, all of our uh, you know, best decision stuff? Is there, is there a, a, a good case for redistributing that to EIGRP and then back? And there really wasn't one. Um, I think, like you said, right, we just talked about blind spots and, and, and people are biased to a certain way. And then, again, the collaborative effort, right, you need, you need more people to take a look at it and just be like, is there a reason we're doing this way? Um, so that was the first thing we changed was we ended up making it more almost like a we changed that from E B G or sorry, EIGRP to IBGP between the two um, routers at each site, still in a different E B G P domain uh, AS rather. So that was the very first thing, right? Um, the second thing was I went on site with this customer um, for an all-day whiteboard session, and, and everybody says that, and it always ends up being maybe you know a few hours, and then lunch, and then everybody goes home or something. It, just, it doesn't usually take that long to get to a, <laughs> to a finished design, uh, you know, unless it's super complex like this one. Um, once you overlay the migration plan on top of it, it obviously gets more complex. Um, so the original thought was, that the core WAN routers would be the eBGP uh, domain, and then each other site, it, and of course, the MPLS routers would also be BGP, um, eBGP, for, for obvious reasons. Um, but that otherwise, all the other service, what they called services towers, and I should back up a little bit to understand their design. It, 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 it's, it's spelled out pretty well here. Um, but their design as a matter of course, and this has nothing to do with the final design. This is just ha- this is their standard. Is when they are connecting to any kind of an extranet or a, serv- a particular service like a VPN. Not picture it as, for example, a VPN tower where uh, the remote access VPN would live. You know, but it looks the same. Where you have a pair of switches, uh, a firewall cluster, and then a pair of routers connected to whatever that extra- extranet service is.
0: Yeah, so like, like a cloud provider or internet, I mean, you have it in the diagram, but I mean, any of those type of extranet type of services, right?
1: Correct, correct. And that had nothing to do with the, this particular design. That was their standard. That was how they did it, right? So, um, so during our onboard, sorry, on-site whiteboard session, uh, we kept looking at it, and we kept thinking, like, all right, well, where's the best spot to start redistributing? And we started thinking, OK, well, we'll run EIGRP um, in the tower. But then it turns out that the firewall cluster um, didn't support EIGRP. It's a non-Cisco firewall. And so they actually use OSPF within that domain.
0: So then you have to redistribute.
1: Correct, in the BGP towards the extranet, for example. Um, so it's kind of interesting, uh, what you would call it, a restriction, if you will. So right now, what they do or did is like, um, and I don't know if you've ever, I don't, I, I don't know if the listeners have either, used AWS um, BGP kind of like to to peer VPCs. I have. Okay, so you know it's pretty bare bones. The BGP config for for the VPC is pretty bare bones on the Amazon side.
0: Unless it's changed, you can't really change a lot of it.
1: Correct. You pretty much you have an AS, and like I think you can choose which networks.
0: Yeah, you can j- use what networks, but you can't do any type of uh, manipulation of the BGP uh, NLRI's that you're you're sending between the different neighbors. Um, you can't do like AS path prepending within the AWS cloud. Now you can do it before those that 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 path information gets there. You can do it like on your WAN <laughs> edge um, or your um, your POP, in this example, you have those service towers and I imagine those routers within the service towers are called like a POP or an internet edge or provider edge mm-hmm. or whatever, something like that, you know, and you'd be able to do some sort of path calculation or manipulation there, but you wouldn't be able to do it on the Amazon side. Um, on, in my experience, unless you're actually running your own router, not Amazon's router, but your own router endpoint CSR. in Amazon. Yeah, a, a CSR 1000V, uh, some sort of virtual appliance, right?
1: Yep, that's exactly right. So that was another business driver. is that the, At the time, they didn't have a CSR-1000V. So we pretty much just got prefixes from Amazon. And that was about the end of it, right? And we could send prefixes to Amazon. And they had a VDI solution that lived in Amazon. They had, I mean, they'd used it for more than just cloud apps. I mean, they, they, they definitely were, were in the process of moving pretty much anything they could. Uh, into into Amazon, but um, to get back to it, we kept talking about where should we start redistributing EIGRP, if that's the or OSPF for whatever it is we're going to use. And um, I left the whiteboard. No, I didn't. I, this was at the whiteboard session. We took a break for lunch, and I, I kept looking at the diagram, and it, it just kept. And it, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't this clean, right? The one we've got on the, it was a lot dirtier. Um, it's never this video. clean
0: when you're doing <laughs> right? it, especially in a whiteboarding <laughs> exactly. session.
1: Um, and, and of course, on the on the board, of course, I'm not that good an artist. Um, but it kept coming back this idea of uh, that each... Each service tower was kind of an entity unto itself, you know. And the way they had physically planned to cable everything, these core WAN routers were kind of like the single source of truth for the network. Like everybody, if you want to get from A to B, you pretty much have to go through one of these routers if you're going to leave that tower. And and the same is true of the MPLS routers, um, data cent- the other data centers, and it, you can kind of probably see that, uh, you know, looking at the diagram, and. You know so we got stuck on this for a bit and um, I wish I could say it was my idea but it wasn't originally uh, one of the engineers as we were again trying to figure out how far back we moved the de- redistribution um, one of the engineers was why don't why don't we do just why don't why do we redistribute why don't we just do BGP where we can and then you know we're, we're stuck through the towers because of the firewall uh, what the firewalls will support um, but why don't we just do BGP? And then we had a big discussion about that, and ultimately um, we we ended up deciding that that actually might work. There's a lot of one hops. There's not a lot of two hops or three hops or, or or cross connections or whatnot. Things that would normally indicate like use an IGP, don't use BGP um, type of stuff. So what we ended up doing, and, and I ended up reading an RFC about uh, clause topologies and using uh, BGP as the IGP and a clause topology. I don't know. If there's. I'll see if I can find the RFC for you so you can uh, attach it. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. And it, I believe it was a draft RFC, like just, hey, wouldn't this be cool? Or what do you guys think about this? I'm not sure it was ever adopted as any kind of true RFC. Um, but basically, if you look at it, it's kind of a clause topology. You have these more or less spine and leaf architecture where all of the services towers are kind of leaves. And these uh, center routers are are kind of a spine. So we ended up doing eBGP everywhere, basically that we could, and assigning a different BGP AS to every tower and every. So those boxes that are drawn um, are different BGP ASs. For
0: example. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me let me kind of. So you have the core WAN routers, right? Um, which are kind of your real core of the entire, or your spine, as you said, of the architecture. And then like you have like on the left side in Colo Data Center 1, uh, you have, let's start with the MPLS routers. Would you, those MPLS routers there, would they be an AS of their own? They are. Okay. They are actually. That's what I was thinking they would be. And then the service towers in that left quadrant still, that Colo Data Center 1, that would be a different AS, right? Correct. And then the one underneath that for the internet, under that second service tower, that'd be another AS? hmm And you pretty much just mimic that in each quadrant moving forward as you have all these different ASs, and it's eBGP. Now, when you were all said and done, how many different ASs did you have?
1: Oh, geez. Uh, we had to reserve. Uh, because this was a customer A, customer B situation, customer A actually was also the NPLS provider and provided a lot of the BGP services, so they actually had to reserve... Within their own, because they manage multiple customers, they had to reserve certain ASs, oh. uh for this process. Um, they're all—it's all private AS. Uh, okay,
0: that's when I was—that was my next question: Is it private AS? Yeah,
1: device. completely private within right. the within the architecture. They would be way too expensive to do it otherwise. Well, uh, there's
0: also a limit too. If you, right. You know, so that's why I was from a design perspective, you only have so many private AS numbers.
1: Absolutely. So the only time you'd go to a public AS would be when you're hitting the internet, basically. Okay. Uh, the internet towers. Um, but yeah. So all private ASs, I think. Oh jeez. Uh, somewhere I, I I'll find the email. But I, it was well over. Uh, it was over. Uh, it was either over or right around f- fifteen,
0: maybe. Oh, just fifteen. Like one it wasn't
1: that bad. It wasn't oh. that bad. What okay. what you see is actually kind of what you get here. There's only a couple extra services towers that I didn't draw right now. But what we did do was we gave them the, um, with that design, it's it's almost plug and play, right? If you want to bring in a new service or a new tower, you just assign it a BGP AS and connect it to the the core, and you know you're just kind of off and running. There's not a, a need to rejigger, reengineer anything as you keep adding uh new services to it
0: yeah i mean 15 is not a lot i mean in the grand scheme of things um no 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 you know i mean i was thinking like hundreds and so like if you have hundreds you might be hitting a limit um i'm gonna probably call myself out here i don't exactly remember how many private address spaces there are for bgpas numbers um i thought there was like just under a thousand but i might be wrong
1: well, we well now that we have the what the four byte AS, we have a little bit more extendability, right? Don't we? As long as everything, as long as all of the devices support it.
0: True, true. Assuming that they all support it, right?
1: Correct. That would be the only. Now these guys, again, like I said, this this was. I don't want to give the impression that even though this is a global customer and it is a big customer, from their from this perspective. Um, they don't, so, so the remote, not pictured are the remote sites, actually. So the remote sites that I mentioned that are on that fiber ring, they actually migrate to the, to the core also, and they get their own AS. So 15 is actually probably not correct. I think it was 15 when we were planning uh, the total design, but as they start adding remote sites, that actually, that number has to have grown. I, I haven't asked the customer, um, but if every remote site gets its own AS number, uh, it, it's probably double or triple that by now, I would assume. But, um, yeah, so...
0: How many remote sites do they have? Just
1: uh, Like 100 or 50? Uh, Probably about 50, Okay, I think. Yeah, that's reasonable,
0: though, from a design perspective. That makes perfect sense, yeah.
1: From a scale perspective, right, exactly. Because we talked about scale. Scale is a big part of this discussion, as you can can imagine. When you're talking about doing something like this, it has to be. Um, But when it came down to it... Uh, they really liked the modularity of the design that was the big seller for them okay. was this idea of plug and play um, sites towers you know everything and they they actually kind of like the whole spine and leaf traffic flow as well they're big the the source of truth is in the center of their network basically, so they actually don't send everything everywhere. I believe that they uh, summarize where possible.
0: That was going to be a question so, I was going to ask you. Uh, did you guys have summarization in there at all to, to kind of reduce yep. the number of routes and all that?
1: Exactly. So every tower has summaries and a default route. I believe that points at the at the core WAN routers, and then the core WAN routers have the full table. They're the source of truth for traffic flow.
0: Makes sense. Now, that's exactly what I would do too. That makes perfect sense. Um, are there any? Are you using any type of BGP attributes at all?
1: So, we used Med so that we could pin uh, traffic, so for example, I mentioned we had a twenty gig uh, link and a ten gig link so by default we're using med to engineer over the twenty gig link, but we're keeping the ten gig link as a as a backup um, they didn't want to explore at the time I talked to them they We, we talked about stuff like um, you know possible load balancing and stuff but they've got they 've got voice uh, going across that network, and you know it gets kind of ugly when you start trying to load balance voice packets and they they were they were happy with just going using the twenty gig and and then keeping the the ten gig as a backup basically is what they wanted to end up with um, Let's see the other thing that made it a little complicated was the requirements of course as always changed during the during the design uh so so down at the bottom where you've got the new campus and data center, that actually was an addition that wasn't that wasn't the original vision
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the bottom right quadrant right. So Correct. That, okay, that bottom right quadrant. And just for so the listeners, if they're not looking at the, the diagram, this is another quadrant that has another another data center and a campus in the same quadrant. It looks like they're directly connected to um, to each other, and then they're also directly connected back to uh, Colo Data Center Two and the WAN routers in Colo Colo Data Center
1: Two. Correct. Now, this and and this was I, I kind of I understand it, but I was a little leery of it um, because the attractiveness of of this design is. Lost a lot once you start peering everything across. Like everything starts once you get the full mesh going. You you really need like an IGP for fast convergence and stuff like that. It's it's it, the BGP updates become a little noisy. You know stuff like that, right? Um, so so I cautioned against this, but they said this is the only time we're going to do this, and this is the requirement. So I said all right, um, we'll try it. We'll do it. So let me because it's a little bit ugly. Let me paint the picture. Um, so. The new campus and data center they had a, like I said a local server farm, which, uh, for speed reasons, needed to be cross connected to the campus so that campus users could go straight to the server farm and back that makes perfect sense and they used EIGRP there so this this is the one place where we we did not do EBGP like all the way down we, they did EIGRP within that server farm in campus because it made sense um, from a speed perspective, so they were and they were cross connected now the switches that connect back to the core WAN routers and also to the Amazon services tower, that's BGP. That's eBGP still. So we're redistributing there is what's going on. We're redistributing. So the best way we could find to do that um, was to, and those are IBGP neighbors as well, or EBGP neighbors, the data center and campus as well. So the best way to do that was we just sent summary addresses uh, down into the EIGRP domain. We did you know, summary address on the uh, interfaces leading towards the campus uh, from those switches, and then we did BGP above it, basically. So we only did one way, I believe we ended up doing one-way redistribution instead of mutual redistribution. Okay.
0: Yeah, but you're doing a summary going down, right?
1: Because we were doing a summary, exactly right. Uh, and then for the services tower, because I mentioned they were moving a lot of the apps to Amazon, they wanted they didn't want to have to bounce to the core WAN router and back to the services tower, so they cross connected it to the services tower directly from there. Okay. All right. Okay, a little bit a little bit uglier than the clean design that you see in the other places, but that was the. That was the business requirement.
0: Well, that's what you just said. It. I mean, it comes back to the business requirement, right? And the business keeps changing requirements, then you have to you have to adapt to that, um, all the time. And and if you're not, then you're not doing it right, in my opinion. So.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, so uh, again, not not the most complicated, but I feel like designs shouldn't be complicated for the sake of being complicated. I don't, I'm a big uh, proponent of not gold plating designs, you know, go with what works, meets the business requirements, and is simple to support.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking exactly how I believe as well. I mean, some people will go full out and, and add every nerd knob and feature and, you know, the implement like, you know, fast reroute or MPLS traffic engineering or this, you know, whatever technology, because they, they feel like it's needed, but it really isn't needed. They're not tying it back to the business drivers, the business requirements or the business constraints. But I, I think here you are. I do have some additional questions, um, unless yeah, you please. have more to go over first.
1: No, I feel like I've covered it, um, but yeah, I guess your questions will determine whether or not I've covered it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so yeah, please,
0: yeah. So on the, uh, so I did ask about BGP attributes, but more, more specifically, maybe the wrong, wrong terminology I use. BGP attributes was a good question, but not the question I was trying to ask. Uh, that's me not being fully uh, correct on my language. Um, so within BGP, there's other things that you can do, like features, I guess. Right? Are you doing anything local AS or, or um. um Remote AI. Like, are you doing anything special within BGP at all?
1: Yeah. Uh, well. Well. First of all, we're doing uh, within the IBGP. Obviously, um, we're doing stuff like next hop self and whatnot, so we don't have to inject every prefix. Uh, you know, for the next hop tracking purposes, so we don't have to inject every prefix into the routing table, um, just to find our next hop, right? Because so that that if we couldn't find the next hop, we wouldn't install it in the table, and so you'd either have to do a network statement for that next hop, or or just do you know, uh, next top self. That's an easy one. Uh, we also, like I said, wherever possible, we, we talked about med, uh, we used med within and out in and out of the services tower to try to pin traffic so that we could achieve optimal traffic flow over that 20 gig link. Does that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I was writing notes. Sorry. Keep going.
1: <laughs> and then, uh, no, you're fine. And the other thing we did was of course, we used BFD everywhere. Obviously Okay,
0: you're using BFD everywhere. Gotcha.
1: Because uh, the conver- so the 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 main reason BGP is generally seen as less less attractive is because of our um, convergence time, right? So we we tuned the scan timer not aggressively but more aggressive than the standard. I think one eighty six se- and or sixty seconds. We turned it down. I want to say to, I think it was twenty five seconds or something like that. Um, we we at least have that we might have gone a little bit further, um, you know, the the keep alive, stuff like that, wherever possible. We tried to tune the convergence, I believe. OK, and uh, hopefully not confusing this customer with another customer because it's always entirely nah, possible.
0: No, I, I think this would make sense. What you're talking about makes perfect sense, though, because you're, you you are more concerned about making that convergence almost like an IGP convergence
1: as much as possible within the within the, the BGP update, you know, uh, scan and the, the walking the table, you know, the things that BGP has to do where, you know, as much as possible, make it as close to IGP as we can get.
0: Yeah. And then there's been a lot of uh, use cases of that being done over the last, you know, I would say five years or so. Um, so this is, I think this is perfect personally. All right. Um, so then my my follow-on questions are going to be more around, not necessarily what you guys, what you, this customer called services for like the tower services, but more around like, are you guys doing anything for like networking services, like specific things like QoS, multicast, um, any security things that you're doing specific for
1: this deployment? For this depl- Okay, so there was, uh, hold on, I have to think for a second. So the intention is, and I don't think we actually got there before I ended up leaving, um, the intention was, so they use a web proxy, and they also have extranet services accessible over the internet. are not, they're just, the, the services are or the services come in. One of the, It's either the services come in or go out through the internet link. Um, they don't have a dedicated extranet for that specific extranet. They do have other extranet services, for example, Amazon Web Services, where they have dedicated circuits, but they also have services that they access that are only accessible through the internet link. Um, their concern was they have a web proxy, and they do not want the web traffic to step on the extranet services, right? Okay. So we ended up doing... Um, or trying to implement kind of a, a policing on the uh, web proxy out towards the internet link. So um, let's see if I can paint a better picture here.
0: No, I think you're painting it perfectly. I mean, you're policing okay. it, and you don't want it to overwrite the other, the other traffic that's going out.
1: Right, and, the, and the, the added thing is, of course, with being a web proxy, it's all TCP traffic, so it's fine if it gets policed, right, because it's gonna, that's actually going to be better and beneficial. It's going to cause the TCP back off. Uh, you know, and it's going to reestablish the session and rebuild everything. And you're not really impacting web traffic. You're really just backing away from the kind of critical extranet services that you don't have that same, you know, you you need better QoS for. Let's see. So within the core of the network, we did have a QoS policy that I reviewed. It was very basic. Um, Basically, you know, like, you know, voice traffic, got a priority queue. Uh, we were doing, um, you know, management traffic and, and uh, routing protocol traffic, and everything, of course, was prioritized. Um, and, and it's actually pretty, pretty bare bones. It didn't need to be that.
0: Well, you have a lot exciting. of bandwidth.
1: Right, because we had a lot of bandwidth to deal with. So it was mostly just about safeguarding control traffic and voice traffic, and everything else was kind of. Eh, we'll just give them two gigs, three gigs, you know, whatever. <laughs> they didn't know exactly, honestly. They didn't have a good understanding of how much traffic yet, because, again, we're doing kind of a greenfield 20-gig, you know, data link design here where it's all changing. So it was very basic to start, and I think their plan was just to tweak based on how the traffic flowed. But, it was, yeah, so there was that. There was QoS there. Um, a lot of this was 10 gig uh, between towers. A lot of those links between the towers uh, were all 10 gig links as well.
0: So that was my next. I was going to get there. Uh, the connections from the service towers to the core WAN routers is 10 gigs. Yep. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty big, uh, uh, pretty substantial link going from your service towers to your core WAN routers, and then your 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 backbone. I guess that 20 gig link. Um, what's the connections going to the actual? Uh, I guess. Um, trying to figure out what to call them pop router or the like the in your services tower, there's, there's the routers, right?
1: I think it's actually one gig within the services tower. I'm almost positive. I know there's a few towers where they did port channels. Okay. uh, I, I believe.
0: Well, then it's your firewall. That's probably your limiting factor.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: Whatever it can support that's encrypted traffic. Um, or inspection whatever you're doing from a security standpoint if you're inspecting everything or like ssl inspection is what i'm talking about there i was being short short uh using short terms um or if you're doing any type of encryption decryption um and that you know you're going to be limited probably to that firewall would be my assumption
1: no i'm almost positive that's the case for those towers Uh, the firewall is the the choke basically of all of that (laughs)
0: let's get on on QoS. Did you have any anything specific that you guys had to do um between the service providers themselves with QoS? I mean, traditionally like a service provider has to mark traffic, they're running MPLS whereas you're not you're not really running MPLS at all, right? You're running just BGP.
1: Correct. This is MPLS VPN. I I, mean, I wanted to make that clear that we're not actually running MPLS with the provider. It's just MPLS provider uh, L3 VPN. Um and this actually was where it actually was a bit of a A benefit that we had a company A, company you know customer A, customer B, because customer A was managing the MPLS, uh, or rather the the VPN connectivity for customer B. So they were developing QoS in with their own standards.
0: Yeah, they were just using their own standards and going with it. So they're probably doing some sort of Q uh, um, MPLS markings from mercurial whatever their their provider standpoint if it's short pipe long pipe um, whatever it might be they're doing some sort of marking that way and they're just mimicking that going through the the customer the customer B's environment
1: yeah um, that's exactly it yeah.
0: is there any multicast at all any any use cases there i always ask that question you multicast can be a bear so
1: yeah the, so these guys we're not. I asked that question right up front, right before that was that was uh, that was almost design question number one, right? Because it's, well, it's such a it's
0: like a gate gate question, a driver.
1: right? Driver, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, there's multicast,
0: something... I'm not helping you. I'm out. I'm out. Peace. No, 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 <laughs> no. not
1: at all. I, but you you know, I mean, from a design perspective, if multicast is in the the mix, it's going to inform your design like it has to, right? So that was on the very short checklist where I started. Uh, these guys are not. They were running multicast. But I believe they're at the point where they're just doing, uh, they have, um, well, they have riverbeds, but uh, they have something else. They have something else that does, like, replicated unicast instead of multicast or something. They're not using multicast in the, in that WAN anymore. I, I I don't remember the specifics anymore. It's been too long. But they, they did have multicast, but they changed the solution, basically. So they're not doing multicast anymore over okay. this, this.
0: All right. Good. I mean, this again, like I said, multicast can be a bane. You know that uh, it's a design headache, yeah. um, design concerns all around. So, especially when you get yep. into like service provider multicast, it can be crazy.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, I think that's a good understanding of the solution that you guys went with the the business drivers, constraints, um, and requirements around that solution, or what kind of led to that solution. Um, we discussed, I think, the pros and cons um, of the technical solution. I think at this point, um, I think I am actually. Um wondering what technical solutions would have been chosen if the business requirements and grants were different.
1: Yeah. Let me think about that. So if it had been different, I'm trying to, so if it had not been in migration, if a network had not been in migration, um, some of the solutions would have been slightly different. I feel like just not, not a lot because they really did like the, the BGP that they went with, uh, the kind of modular environment they went with. Um, but for example, we talked at length about how to do loop prevention with the old legacy data center being connected to the MPLS VPN while the new connections were up also. Because you can see, if you if you draw that imaginary line from the MPLS VPN cloud to the old legacy data center, you have... Uh, and it, within the legacy data center campus, they were also using EIGRP, so there was a So there was a redistribution in the middle there, right? So you could easily create a loop. So we we talked at length about that. Um, and basically the their their idea was no, we don't want to deal with that. We're just gonna we're gonna flash cut. We're not gonna we're not gonna deal with loop prevention. It's doable, right? You could just make a giant prefix list. I mean, there's a hundred ways to stop that loop. Yeah, yep. But they literally did not want to deal with it. So. You're doing
0: prefix lists, you're doing tagging, route maps. I mean, you're doing a whole exactly. nine yards. And, and then if you forget or miss something, you're going to create a loop. So,
1: no. Correct. Uh, they did not want to accept the risk of of having to do that, basically. So And that worked out well. So if it had been different in that way, because the, the business had originally asked for that, had had asked them to keep but in this case, the network architect, who I mean, he's really smart. He's a he's a 20-year C.C.I.A. I think he's actually retiring this year. He's going to Meritus this year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he's 20, 20 years. He reached his 20 years this year, I think it was. And he said, all right, that's it. I'm going to Meritus. Um, so he's been in the business for a good long time. He's a really smart guy. He basically said, no, I'm going to push back on this. We're not We're not doing this.
0: Well, that's a smart decision in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it helped a lot working with people, um, collaborating with people who you know were really smart, really understood the technology, you know, and could kind of see my blind spots and I could see theirs. Like I said, you know, going back to that collaboration argument or not argument uh, discussion we were having earlier. Um, so, and it was and I worked with a really diverse team of people too. It was it was great. Um, so let me think about the other if the requirements had been different. I think if they had not started with this pod type of setup we probably could would have just gone with an IGP of some sort like there's no you know what I mean like if yeah, this wasn't yeah. like a repeatable solution there would have been less um attractiveness for utilizing BGP as a as a routing protocol I think yeah, that well, was I think you're right. Part of-
0: I think that makes perfect sense because they already, they came to you with a kind of a pod concept to begin with. Maybe not knowingly that they did, but they came with like a kind mm-hmm. of a pod and that, that really does work towards a, a BGP model of that it's eBGP, IBGP, whatever. Um, but to your point, if it wasn't a pod and it was all kind of like, here's my network in this huge, I guess, topology. Um, I don't know what you would do. I think IGP would have to be the case.
1: Yeah, I think for sure it would have had to have been, um, you know, and then you do the standard enterprise thing where you just redistribute when you're connected to the Layer 3 MPLS provider uh, or or your extranet, right? You know, it would have been something like that. It would not have been this. Um, it would have just been a very standard probably enterprise use case. But the, the pod and the kind of clause topology that we end up with, kind of, this kind of spine and leaf that we ended up with, uh, lent itself really well to doing EBGP as the and IBGP as the routing protocols.
0: So I think I I, I took a lot of notes because I had some questions. I think you've answered all my questions. We talked about QS, multicast, um... Are there any other network services, I don't think there's any other network services that would come to mind here um, that would be paramount for you. Um, I do like um, at the beginning uh, of kind of the, the discussion of the situation, uh, I didn't get a chance to call it out. But you actually kind of turned it back on the customer and said, you know, why are you doing this um, during the whiteboarding session or maybe even be right before the whiteboarding session, right? Um, you know, they came to you with this. Here's, my, here's what we're doing, right? Um, and we just want you to come in and and help us. And one of the first things you kind of did was like, well, why, why do you need this? Why are you doing this? Um, and really getting them to justify what they're doing. I think that's a huge, uh, takeaway from a design perspective because a lot of customers I deal with do things because they feel like they have to do it, but they don't know that they really don't have to. Maybe they're set in their ways or they've gotten bad information over the years and they're stuck doing something a certain way. And it's not actually something they need to do.
1: It's a, like I said, the whole collaborative effort where people can see each other's blind spots. The best designs are collaborative, in my opinion. Not that anybody can do a design and anybody can do a small design, a big design. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I'm just thinking that the best, the most bulletproof designs, I'll put it that way, tend to come out from a a collaborative effort.
0: Uh, You can't, I don't think you can say it better than what you just did there, man. Um, Well, uh, do you have any last-minute kind of comments, questions, concerns? I mean, did we miss anything?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, feel, uh, I feel really good about it. it was nice to, it's actually been a few months since I've been able to dig back into this. Uh, since I transitioned over to my new role and, and whatnot, I've been um, focused on totally different stuff. So it's good to see that my chops aren't completely rusty.
0: Well, um, so I guess we'll wrap it up, man. Um, So just so everyone else that's listening, how can they connect with you if they want to? Be it uh, social media, uh, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, website, blog. How can they connect with you?
1: Uh, Let's see. So I am on Twitter. I'm uh, at Wangolbez, J-U-A-N-G-O-L-B-E-Z. There's a long story there. I don't want to get into it uh <laughs> another you know if, if i come back next time uh you know i'll uh, i'll let you know all about that one okay
0: um, promise i'll make sure of that all right
1: <laughs> all right remind me yep so uh, i will okay. <laughs> <laughs> then i have a, a blog that i just started honestly it's not that interesting but uh it's uh carpe dmvpn.com uh carpe dash dmvpn.com Sees the network <laughs> that's
0: that's an awesome name for a website. I, I like. I know. I commented before we even started recording earlier, but I, I love the name of the website. So if you're listening to this, uh, you know, check that out. Uh, I, I I know Tim kind of downplayed it, but I'm sure he'll add stuff there that you're gonna love. So, carpe-dmvpn.com. Right. So go to it yep. and just take some of take a, take some of his content in. I'm sure it's gonna be great. Thanks. Well, uh, Tim, I, I I just wanna officially say thank you for spending the time with me today um and going over this this kind of use case with bgp and dci and with one of your customers i really appreciate your time um that you spend today with me and our customers so i just want to say thank you so much but i appreciate it
1: i'm glad to be here guy. i'm glad to hear you
0: Hey, friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there! That's going to close out this episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast. Today we talked about DCI. It was a use case around BGP—that's uh, eBGP and iBGP—connecting your data centers together. Um, thanks for listening. Be sure to visit zigbits.tech to join the to join the conversation and access to today's show notes. Today's show notes will be at zigbits.tech/slash thirty-four. If you liked today's content, if it inspired you, resonated something within you, or provided any value, please let us know. You can find us on all the socials, that's Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook by searching for ZigBits. You can also send us an email to feedback at zigbits.tech. Don't forget to join us in two weeks for another episode where we will continue to provide you with real-world context around technology. Bye for now.